0: studying the book of Psalms, and we studied the first book of Psalms, and we studied from chapter 1 through chapter 41, which is today, and everything under the sun is in the the Psalms. And we looked at all of the things, and we could relate to all of these things more and more in our lives, and the psalm covers things like laments, which again are psalms that are, we see the psalmist talking about complaining or sadness in his life, he's lamenting. Then we looked at the royal psalms. Those are psalms that deal with Christ, which is what we have today, and I'll get to more of that in a minute. We dealt with thanksgiving psalms, and we can be thankful for the things that God does for us in our lives. Even the bad things that happen in our lives, we can be thankful for those. Not just that we're happy for all the good things, but all the bad things as well, because God's in control. And so it's nice to know that he has our back. We saw wisdom psalms psalms that were taught for us to look to the law, or the Torah, or the Ten Commandments, the idea that God is involved in the scriptures. And so we saw the wisdom that God gives to us from the psalms, and we even saw psalms that use the Hebrew alphabet to show you God and the way to remind the Jews to remember their upbringing. And so it's really kind of interesting to see how they would use that stuff. In fact, when I was walking through Israel, we were walking through bazaars and I had endless money because the man was painting pictures of the Psalms, and he was painting pictures of the Bible, and he was using all Hebrew words. Has anyone ever seen this before? So it's a picture with the words, and so he would create a scene of David versus Goliath. But in order to make the picture, he would use the Hebrew words of that whole story, and it made a picture using the words. And it was like, man. They were like five hundred to a thousand dollars per per. And I asked him, "Why do you do this?" And he said, "It's been passed on from generation to generation from my ancestors far back, and it was so that we could actually keep the Bible without ever having to keep the Bible." And it was amazing because we'd make pictures, and so our occupiers, the people who would take us over, wouldn't let us keep the Torahs, so we would paint pictures using the Torah verses. And I was like, "Wow, that's really cool." And so. psalms do is they remind the Jews and us of who God is. And then we all study these psalms that led us to one place, one place only, and led us to Jesus Christ. And you can find Christ in every single psalm. In fact, Charles Spurgeon once said, if you can't find Christ in the Old Testament, you're not looking hard enough. So Christ is there throughout all of Scripture. Jesus may have said the red letters. so I think what's interesting is that you see these Psalms leading us to one point, one point only, and that's Jesus Christ. And one position to understand in life, our understanding and our position in life needs to lead us to one place and one place only, and that's Jesus Christ. People have said to me, why study the Old Testament? I say in response many times, where did Jesus teach from? So you actually have The Old Testament is irrelevant. No, it's not. All of God's teaching, two-thirds of God's teaching comes from the Old Testament. To say that it's irrelevant to us is not true. It's a lie. You can find many, many things that are very important in the Old Testament that Christ taught from. And it's the Word of God, so we need to listen to it. In fact, 2 Timothy God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All Scripture. So we should study the Old Testament. In fact, let me give a little plug. Starting this Sunday evening, we have Jeff Wearsma, who's going to come and he's going to teach us through the book of Judges. I'm very excited about this study. So if you want to come to Sunday evening service and drop your kids off downstairs, that'd be great. But it's an opportunity for us to go through. So, just know, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable. So we need to hear this. We need to heed what it says, especially in the Psalms. And that's why we studied the Psalms. We studied it for one reason, and I hope you get a better understanding of who God is and what he does through this study. So let us end this study before we start studying Revelation and see one last thing. the one Or about them circumstances, or about how do I make my life easier when in reality God says you will suffer, you will be persecuted, it will be hard on you in this life. And so, what do we need to do? Well, that is nothing except trust and obey. That's why I love that song we sing: trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And that's what the Psalm is. on the cake. It needs to be Jesus Christ. If you're single, trust me, Paul said it, don't look to get married. It's harder. because you get pulled in two different directions, it needs to be Jesus Christ. And that's really what this psalm is going to talk about today. So let me open up the psalm one last time and see at least for a while we're going to see what the Holy Spirit has for us. So this title of the psalm is Psalm 41, the Messianic Psalm. It says this, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give up. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him. sound familiar to any of you? That's actually Matthew. It's a beatitude. Jesus taught from this psalm on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, he started the Sermon on the Mount with this very psalm and this very verse. So let me help you understand something very important here. The idea of being blessed because we consider what does that really mean, to consider the poor? Some people think, and, and this is the way many charities think, that if you just take care of the poor, then you're doing something good. If you just pay for their woes or their pain or their hurt, then you're doing something very good. In fact, they think you're doing great work. If you just come in and you don't consider the poor, you just take care of them and keep doing the things that they need or that they want, Scriptural. Yes, we are to take care of the less fortunate, but you have to consider the poor. That's very different than just giving them what they want. In fact, I liken it to the idiom that we say all the time. It's that idea of give a man a fish, and he will eat for a day. But teach him how to fish, and he'll eat for a lifetime. So when you learn to consider What does that really mean? What does that mean? The word in Hebrew for consider is sakal. It's to act wisely, it's to be prudent, it's to comprehend, to have insight. So when you consider the poor, that's the idea here. It's to be blessed by God is to be discerning and to learn to not just give that man a fish for a day, but to teach them or enable them how to help their issues. How to get out of that issue. Because then what becomes is a welfare state. If you don't really learn how to work and you're just given your food, and by the way, the scriptures tell us If they don't work, they don't deserve to eat. That sounds crazy in our world today. They've done studies. They've showed you that there are people that stand at the edge of the freeway and they have a sign, just give me some food or some money. And they did a study of a a couple of those people. there was one. You shouldn't even eat according to scripture unless you're working. But our job is to discern, to act wisely with our money. A lot of people do this nowadays where they will say things like, I will." I, I see that you're looking for some food. How about I take you and go get some food? How many of you have done that? I've done that. I actually had a guy and he's like, I was going through at Arby's and he said to me, can I get some money? And I said, how about I buy you some food? He goes, okay, I'll take the two for." side of the army as he came through and I gave him the bag and he's like, thanks man, I just wanted some food. I was going to ask you for money, but most people won't give me any money. But I've actually had people where I've I've said to them, I'm not going to give you money, I'll buy you some food. And they're like, no, 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 I just want the money. That's not how this works. I'm going to give you food. Is that what you're asking for? Well, I would love to have some food, but I'm not giving you money. Okay, because I know you're not going to use it to buy food. What I give to you, because I want to make sure you're not going to use it to go buy booze, or to go buy drugs, or to go buy something that you know isn't going to help you. So I'll buy you the food, but I find it interesting how many people in this world don't really want to work, and so we have a welfare state, because we don't consider them. We think we're being considerate. In fact, this is really talking about being a person who considers sympathetically but also wisely about the poor. Does our government do that very well? Show of hands. Scary. Scary. When we do this, we actually are blessed. When we consider sympathetically, but also wisely about the poor, then we're considered blessed. That's the same thing that Jesus was talking about. And David is saying, the Lord delivers those who consider the poor. what Jesus told Judas, who considered the poor. This I bring up is so that you will act wisely. Judas, in John chapter 12, we see a story of a woman. And what does she do? She breaks an expensive alabaster jar of perfume. And what does Judas say to her? What's wrong with you? You should have sold this and we could have given the money to the poor. He's actually angry. was angry? It's because he was the money bag holder. And he knew he could have gotten some money, extra money out of the sale of that. He was actually stealing for three years money because he was the son of Satan. So he took money and he was mad and said they could have sold that money. And listen to what Jesus says. Hear this now. And I wish I had a bunch of politicians in this room. I want you to hear this now. Jesus says this in verse 7. Leave her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. He knew what was happening. And he says this in verse 8. But the poor you. that blow your mind? There are people in America today that think we should have a $15 or $20 minimum wage so we have no poor people. And they don't seem to realize that there are people that don't want to work. You can give them $100 an hour and they're still when I was working in the UAW, would get in trouble for pointing it out. I'll never forget getting yelled at for pointing out the fact that a guy wasn't willing to do his job. And I said, can you stop? And I kept walking with the car because I'm going down. And I'm like, you're not done yet. And he's like, yes, I am. And I'm like, I'm not getting the other door until you put the other two screws in here. No wonder people don't want to buy our product. give them an hour. I don't care how much you're promised by the politicians. You will have the poor with you always. Jesus said the poor will be with you always. So we need to make sure that we're using our discernment rightly. I'm not saying don't take care of the poor or the less fortunate, but you need to be careful here. That's what's being told to us because you can get into a lot of trouble. And I'm telling you right now, With what you do for them. All this is to consider, or all this is to say, that when you are blessed, you consider wisely in what you do with your responses. That's what God is telling us to do. Consider the poor, but do it wisely. Use discernment, and always ask the Holy Spirit what you should be doing. With anybody that you come across, He takes care of us, the Lord sustains us. David said, Settle on the way. Remember what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we settle on the way of Jesus, we get something from that. Look at it in verse 4. It says this As for me, I said, O oh Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Here it is, he repents. My enemies say of me, in malice, 6, and when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. Another word for sin, when he goes out, he tells it abroad. Verse 7, all who hate me, whisper together about me, they imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him, he will not rise again from where he lies. Even my me, but you, O Lord, be gracious to me, raise me up, that I might repay them. So what happens when we follow Jesus? Sometimes when you follow Jesus, you get people that are going to say one thing to your face, sure that never happens to any of you. Your enemies and your friends never wish that you would die, right? Never wish that stuff. They never utter empty words to your face while their heart gathers sin against you. In fact, all who hate you never whisper together about you. They never imagine the worst for you or everything David said here That's the reality of life. The interesting thing about this in part Psalms is that Jesus quotes this in John 13, 18, about Judas, the one who ate bread with Jesus. Judas is the one who lifted his heel against Jesus. This is why it's the Messianic Psalm. It starts with his Sermon on the Mount and ends with his betrayal. Lifting up your heel is a very important Because many people think it's your enemy that does it only. No, no, no. It's your close friends that will do it as well. It'll be your family members that do it as well. So just understand, there are going to be people in your life that are going to lift up their heel against you. Scary. I'm here to tell you that it's not easy to live this life as a Christian. It's not easy. You're going to be accused of things, and things are going to be caused, Might not be true. But here's the thing you can rest on the fact that God's in control. Because when the heel is lifted up in Hebrew, this is what it first started off in. In Genesis, it was the curse of Satan. In fact, it says, He, Satan, will be crushed by the heel of the woman's offspring. This is a two part picture here. One, Satan is crushed, but at the cost of the pain and suffering of the heel of the crusher. They're going to fight and ultimately kill each other. Just so you're aware, that's what's going to happen. When you you step on a poisonous snake and you crush its head, you actually can kill yourself. So it seems like it's a great thing that Jesus crushes Satan's head, but what did it Bite to the vulnerable part of the body. Remember, they didn't have shoes like you and I have today. They didn't have boots that stopped them from being bitten by a snake. They would walk around everywhere and their feet would need to be cleansed before they would come into their homes, before they would eat. They were told, in fact, about their feet to wipe the dust off of their feet. still important today in this very region. In fact, it's become an insult to throw your shoes at somebody because of the history of feet. How many of you remember that story of George W? Standing there and he's doing a press conference in Iraq and what did the reporter do? Threw a shoe at him. One of the biggest insults you his brother Esau's feet when they're being born. And what's Jacob's story in life? It mirrors this very story of a deceiver and a heel grabber since the beginning of time of Satan in the garden. If you don't know the story of Jacob, go read it. He lies. He lies and he cheats to get his inheritance. And there's one last thing Supper gets into an argument with Jesus. Do you all remember this? Do you remember this argument? Peter says to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus says back to him, if I do not wash your feet, then you have no place with me. Ouch. And Peter, I'm not sure yet, I'm not sure if it was scary or if it was bold. What does Peter say? Don't just wash my feet then, wash my head and my hands as well. Is that scary or is that, I mean, is that really bold or is that scary? I'm not sure yet. But he wanted to be completely cleansed. The point I'm making is that people will be against you and your loved ones, or at least ones who call you your friends, they're going to turn on you in your times of troubles. So you can only trust one person, and it's Jesus Christ. The heel is bitten because he crushed the head of Satan. He rose again, he defeated death, to prove the atoning work had been finished for all of us. This is the truest friend one could ask for in this life. This is where we're moving towards. This is what we're looking at in all of the Psalms. And it should cause all of us to have this very reaction that David has here in this Psalm. Verse 11, it says this, Because of my integrity, and set me in your presence forever. Forever. I'm going to say it again. Forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. That's how he ends this psalm. But it's Forever. doesn't last forever. It doesn't. They believe in, uh, I forgot the theological term, nihilism? Where it just kind of ends eventually? Hell just ends? No, it doesn't. It lasts forever. So let me ask you guys a question. How many of us are truly understanding our blessings? That many of us truly understand our blessings today, that we live in a country that allows you to have some semblance of freedom, that sort of allows you to speak your mind, that sort of allows you to carry guns, that sort of allows you to not incriminate yourself. Sort of. Do you know that Jesus delights in you? triumph with Him forever. Not necessarily on this life, on earth, but in the afterlife. You get to be with Jesus forever. And you're always going to be learning something new about God in heaven. He's only revealed to us a little bit of Himself. And there's so much in there that I I can't even memorize all of it. I'm so enamored with some of the, the history of the Hebrews. They could actually remember the whole Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those guys could spend all day long just memorizing verse by verse, every single verse in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. They could do all of it. And that's just a little bit of who God is. We're going to know more. God's going to reveal more to us about himself when we get to heaven. And here's the beautiful thing about this life. Even though your enemies are going to turn on you, even though your friends are going to Sets us in his presence. It's never gonna go away. It never changes for us. The crazy thing is, I've talked about this ad nauseum. For those Latin fans up front, ad nauseum means to sickness. But however, there are still people who think that this love and this kind of love could be lost in the salvation. by sinning the wrong kind of sin. There actually are people out there that teach you can have a mortal sin. What? Never understood that. What's a mortal sin versus any sin? Because every sin that we ever commit is what causes us to die. So every sin is a mortal sin. No, 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 but this is a higher level of sin explain that to me? And and now I've done something that Jesus didn't die for? How does that work exactly? What sin is that that I could do that Christ wouldn't have died for me? If you accept him, and you believe him, and you trust him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you learn to obey him, you're not going to do it perfectly in the beginning. No one has done it perfectly in the beginning. Not one of us. That's why Satan Of being set apart. We have a process of walking out our salvation in the sense of our sanctification. It's not just this repetitive motion of trying to be saved all the time. Oops, I sinned. Now I got to confess. Oops, I sinned. Now I got to confess. It's not that yo yo kind of way of life. It's the idea of understanding that we are no longer obligated to sin because Christ has set us free. But Paul talks about this sin nature. We have the flesh that lives inside of us. And as I was teaching the kids on Friday at school, I was trying to explain to them what that really means. And what you have to learn to do is learn to feed one or the other, and you will starve to death one or the other. That's what you have to do. Feed the Holy Spirit. not a great relationship. It's throughout the day. It's constantly asking God, is this true of me? What do I need to repent of? How do I need to change? And then get with others. Have an accountability partner, have someone there that you can lament to your day. You know what? I was just talking and my brother said this, my sister said that I'm having trouble with my boss. I'm doing this and talk to one person. Choose to an accountability partner and ask them to help you with your sins, if you committed any. So give me a break. When people tell you you can lose your salvation, run as fast as you possibly can, because it's not in Scripture. It's nowhere in Scripture you can lose your salvation, because salvation is from the Lord. Those people who put God in their small little bodies, that in our weakness, he is made strong. The author of bits and pieces puts this strength and weakness this way. He says this, a person who calls himself frank and candid can be very easily himself tactless and cruel. A person who prides himself on being tactful can find eventually that he's become evasive and deceitful. A person who with firm convictions can become pig headed. A person who is inclined to be temperate and judicious can sometimes turn into someone who's weak of conviction and banks fires of revolution, A resolution, excuse me. Loyalty can lead to phantasm. Caution can become timidity. Freedom becomes license. Confidence becomes arrogance. Humility becomes serv- servility. Strengths really truly are our weaknesses when it comes to the Lord. And in our weakness he becomes strong. Paul says it, I told you this before, Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse seven through ten. So to keep me from becoming conceited. Why? So he doesn't become conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. There it is again. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insult. Persecutions, you can find contentment. And in your calamities, you can find contentment because God's in control. God's the one who's strong. It has nothing to do with you or me. It has everything to do with him. Do you and I really understand this, church? Do we really truly trust that Jesus is our strength, which means that we have to go back and let him ride in the front, and we get to sit in the back? is sufficient. That's why we can say David was so rightly said here in the end of the psalm, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. That's why we can say those things. In fact, let's do that now. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for all the things that you do for the sake of with the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the calamities that come in our lives. That we can't just take this all on our own. That we need you to come through for us. Because when we are weak, then you are strong. That's what overcomes all of those things. It's the strength still sinners, Christ, you died for us. It's not about perfection. None of us here will ever be perfect, including myself. And so, God, I pray that we would confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus, you rose him from the dead, and he defeated death. And when we do that, you say, we will be saved. Lord, I pray for the churches out there that add to that message. I pray, Lord, that you would shut them down. us to all run to you and not our ways, but your ways. Because blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, the God of the people of Christianity in the world. From everlasting to everlasting, we all say